0: You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament. And we've been doing a um, sermon series that we began uh, two weeks ago on our church mission statement. We want to just focus on what is the biblical basis for our church mission statement. Now, let me again just reiterate some things we've shared before. A vision, our church vision, which is our long-term goal, what we want to become and always be, is this. We want to be a vibrant church in a pivotal city that perpetuates his name to the next generation. That is our vision. That's what we wanna be, Uh, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, uh, when some of you college students that are here have grandkids, and they come to the University of Georgia. I want this church to be here doing that. And and what goes on in your life, we want going on in their life. We wanna do that, be a vibrant church in a pivotal city, Perpetuating his name to generations. Now, um, our mission statement, which is a little different than a vision. A vision is what you kind of ultimately want to be. A mission is kind of how you go about getting there. What are you doing? What is, what is your routine as an organization? And our, our mission statement is to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ by growing spiritually, by living authentically, and by participating in his purposes so two weeks ago, we talked about what it meant to honor the greatness of Jesus. We talked about what was so great about him and how we should, what's the appropriate way to honor that. And then last week, we talked about growing spiritually. We had a kind of a paradigm of spiritual growth. You may remember that, sort of a template of how someone goes from being an unbeliever, they hear the gospel, they become a believer. Somebody who is a Christian, they read God's Word, they study God's Word, and they become a growing Christian. Someone who is a growing Christian, if they start implementing consistently what they're learning, they become what I would just call a disciple. And if a disciple gets involved in ministry, he is what we call a disciple maker. And these are all biblical words and biblical language, and you can listen to the tape and, and get that. But the idea is that we're growing, and we made a big deal and a big emphasis of the importance of God's Word in that process. For you and I to grow spiritually, we have to just saturate ourselves, inundate ourselves in God's Word. And I wanna encourage you, I talked about this last week, about the idea of how to implement it, how to graft the Word, how to, how to really interact with God's Word in a way that is personally transformative in your life. And I, this is something I did when I was a senior in high school, and I was a mixed up, struggling Christian. Struggle with all kind of sins and all kind of fears and all kind of phobias and all kind of insecurities and and things. And I remember just getting very serious about God's Word. I got a spiral-bound notebook out, and I would go through a book in the Bible, and I would do maybe the book of Romans or the book of Ephesians. If you've never done this, just do this. And I would read the verse, and I would think, huh, what does that talk?" And I would just write out my thoughts about that verse, about the words in it, about the sentence, and I would just write it out, and then I would read the next verse. And the next verse I didn't understand. So I'd say, I don't understand this verse. And I'd go to the next verse. And I would just but I would go through and in just in time it just changed my life. I remember taking a back then we had concordances. We didn't have cool computer internet things like you have today. And I remember taking that and looking up every verse in the Bible on fear. Because I really hated how timid and how fearful and how, how I just lacked confidence. I just knew that's not what God, how God wanted me to live. And I began to read every verse in the Bible about being confident, about being bold, about fear, about timidity. And I, I wrote them down, and I began to think about them and pray about them and write down, well, if this is true, then this. And, and within my life radically changed I did the same thing for purity because you know, like I was a 17, you may find this hard to imagine. I was a 17-year-old boy and struggled with lust. You may find that hard to believe, but I really did. And and I just didn't want to, so I just began to really say, what does the Bible say about it? And I began to just look up these particular, it's like planting a crop. It's like planting corn. If you, wanna, if you want to plant confidence and fearlessness and victory in your soul, find it in the Bible and just plant it, make a crop, and grow it. If you, wanna, if you have a struggle, plant the answer in your soul and grow it. And it will transform your life. And if I could help you do this, I will. If, you're, if you are, literally, if you are reading, if you're doing that, you start putting that into practice, and you have some struggles, you get some questions, literally email me, lee at classiccity.com.org, excuse me. Lee at classiccity.org. L-E-E, two letters, real simple. Three total letters. <laughs> it's very easy. <laughs> Lee and Bob, we are the, the simple guys here. Lee at class, and if you email me, I will reply to you. It is very important. I am your pastor. I am. I am here. I exist to help you grow spiritually. So if that's you, do that. I will reply to your email. If you have a question, if anything I can do to help you in that process, because it'll be overwhelming what will go on in your life. So we want to honor the greatness of Jesus. We want to grow spiritually. Now, the second thing we talk about is if we're growing spiritually, we want to live authentically, live authentically. Now, everybody loves authentic, don't we? We say we do. And when we see something that's authentic. I know I used to watch years ago American Idol and there would be somebody that would just give this powerful performance, and they'd say, That's, "That was so authentic." And we, I don't know what that meant, but it was, you could just you, when you saw it, you knew what it meant. But what, what is authenticity? Simply this, authenticity for a Christian is real simple. It's when your beliefs and your actions line up. That's what being authentic is. when your beliefs and your actions and your intentions line up. Now here's a struggle we all have. I'll illustrate this with a rubber band here. Every one of us experiences this tension in our life, just like I'm experiencing a tension here. And here's what it is. There's what you believe and what the ideals you know God wants over here. And there is what we feel and what we often do over here. Anybody ever ever experienced this in your life? The Apostle Paul experiences. He wrote about it in the Bible actually, in Romans 7. He goes, I don't understand myself. Sometimes I find myself doing things that I hate and I find myself not doing the things I want to do. Anybody ever experienced that? Besides me and Apostle Paul, we, good. <laughs> and and this, is, this is a real tension. Here's what happens. I'm getting quite a workout doing this actually. I'm just feeling it in my arms. Here's what happens. Eventually, either what you believe will compromise to what you're feeling and what you're acting like, or what you're acting like will yield to your beliefs. And what we want to do as Christians and believers, living authentically is the habit of what we feel what we do, yielding to what we believe Scripture says and what's ideal. That's what we want to do. We want to become authentic, living authentically. And if you read the Bible, authenticity is a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen quickly over and over again, but it is, it is a process. And it's a huge emphasis in the New Testament. Let me show you a couple of verses On the screen. This is a great one here in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. John was, of course, one of Jesus' closest friends. Here's what he said: this is common sense. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It means simply this: if I claim to be a Christian, I should live it out. That's not too difficult a thing to ask, right? If I say I believe something, I should live it out. Look at the next one here. It's in Philippians chapter 1. Um, Paul is in jail, and he's writing to these guys. And he's, it's really kind of an interesting thing to read if you read the whole thing. He's reading and he goes, hey, look, I'm, I'm in jail. Uh, I think I'm going to get out of here and, and keep preaching the gospel. But, hey, they may kill me. You never know these guys. You know, they, they may kill me. And I don't know. And he says, you know, I'm kind of deciding whether I want to die because I go to heaven or if I want to live because if I live, I get to preach the gospel and spread the gospel more. And he goes, "I, I really want to live. I think I want to just keep preaching. But regardless, whatever happens to me, that's what he means by whatever happens. Whatever happens to me, whether I die or whether I live, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or whether I hear about you in my absence, I will know that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He says, whatever happens, walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. Walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. That phrase is reiterated in one way or another throughout the New Testament. It was an enormous concern of the apostles when they started the church and when the church was spreading, is that people live out what they believe. Walk worthy of what's happened to you. Walk worthy of it. Live up to it. Let me give you one more. Um, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're already there now. Ephesians chapter 4. And again, Paul says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life worthy. Now, if you're in Ephesians 4, let's talk about this a little bit. How do we do this? How do we live a life that is worthy of the Lord? If we, how do we live a life to where what we claim we believe and what we actually live are congruent? They're aligned. They match up. To where our Christianity is authentic. It's the real thing. It's the real thing. Look here at Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read verse 20 together. And if you read this book, it's really a it's really a great book to read. It's only six chapters long, In the first three chapters Paul talks about what it means to be a Christian in, in, in glorious terms. I mean, he says you're a child of God, you have access to God, free, you can be you should be empowered by His Spirit. He just, he has all these incredible, you know, imagery of an, of of what it means to be a Christian, the benefit of it. It'd be like saying, what does it mean to be an American? You know, you, oh, you've, you've, we provide education, and we have this great history. And you just, all these benefits of, of and, and it's kind of what he's doing. is saying, look, this is what you have going for you. This is what is in your corner. Just because you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, then he goes on in the second half from chapter 4, on, he talks about how do you unpack it? How do you really walk it out? How do you implement this thing into your life? And so in verse 4, verse 1, he says, hey, walk in a manner worthy. Of the calling you've received. Walk worthy of all this that God's done for you. Then in verse 20, and he goes through and he gives you a lot of moral advice here. So I don't want to read all the more advice, but I want to read one passage here that's kind of a trigger, and then just look at a couple things here. Verse 20. He says, Therefore, that is not how that is not the way of life you learned. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him that in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, what he's saying there is, is, is a really cool thing. He's saying, you know, there was a way of life you had before you met Christ, and you were corrupt, and I was corrupt and we were corrupted by deceitful desires. And what does that mean? It simply means this, if you have desires that are bad, you and I will lie to ourselves to be able to do them. We're really willing to do that. We will lie to ourselves. We'll tell ourselves all kinds of things. Oh, it's not hurting anybody. Oh, I'm just, you know, we've heard it. Anybody with teens knows what I'm talking about. You know, it's just, it's just you, you lie to yourself, you just whatever, just to do what you want to do. And that's the corruption we have. Deceitful desires. It's just desires that deceive us, fool us, and we believe things. And he says that it's like a, that whole life and the life we live because of that is really like a worn-out old garment. It's like a garment you want to get off you. You know, uh, 24 hours ago, I was at the gym I go to, working out, covered in sweat. And when I got done, you know what I want? I want to get, I want to take those garments off. Those weren't the garments I wanted to wear here today. This morning I woke up, I had a t-shirt on and a ratty pair of gym shorts. I didn't want to come preach the gospel today in that. I need to take those clothes off. And that's what he's saying in in your your life. Think about your old life, the things that were done, the things that were contrary to the gospel. He's saying, take them off. Just put on new clothes. And, And what he describes there, the way you do that is by renewing your mind. Things we talked about last week, getting in the word of God, growing in your faith you know, just living, letting it assimilate into your soul. And and that's what he's talking about here is, is putting it on. That's the process we go through, being renewed, putting it on. And, um, and then what he goes through here and the rest of it, he's going to give you just seven categories. And I want to talk about seven sort of things we can align ourselves to, seven sort of moral axioms that are here. There's a lot of others in the Bible. You can read the Sermon on the Mount, you can read a lot of things, but I just want to talk about what are some of the ways we should display an authentic Christian life. Authenticity in your life is so important, guys. Every one of you, where you live, where you grow up, where you work, where you, the clubs you're involved with, I believe every one of you have been strategically placed by God there. You're uniquely gifted and strategically placed to make an impact for him. And every one of us, every one of you, you're one of two things. Me, you, we're all one of two things. We're either a bridge or a wall. A bridge or a fence. That means this. In my life, in the way I live my life, I am either a bridge to God for unbelievers Or I'm a fence that they'll never see him because I'm in the way. Every one of us. And what we want to do, we want to be a bridge. You want to be somebody where people can look at your life, the people you work with, the people you live with, the people you recreate with, the people your kids hang out with. They can look at you and say, okay, that guy is, I'm seeing seeing some credibility in the Christian faith because of this guy. Not look at you and go, oh, there's another one of those guys. Another phony. Just a complete wall. Be a bridge, not a wall. And here's some things we want to do to be, a, to be a bridge and not a wall. Look at the next verse here. Verse 25. Paul says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, here's a quality we all ought to have. Personal integrity, that's a great quality to nourish. Personal integrity, where you are in public what you are in private, you are genuine. There's integrity. When you say something, you mean it. You keep your word. The Bible describes a man of integrity. It says he's a person who swears to his own hurt. That means if you say you're gonna do something, and it's going to cost you and hurt you, you still do it. You swear to your own hurt. The the word in the Bible for integrity, the picture of it in the Hebrew word for the word translated integrity is really cool. It literally means to take a marble and put it on a table. And that marble does not roll. Take a marble, put it on a table, and that marble doesn't roll. What it basically means is every leg is the same. you're the same in public as you are in private personal integrity that's something we need to take that is building a bridge to others look at the second thing here let me read the second verse to you verse 26 is in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you're still angry verse 27 and do not give the devil a foothold here's the second thing we got to manage anger control your anger um Here's something, and you can be angry and not sin. It's not a sin to feel anger. Everybody understand that? You can be angry and not sin. But if you don't control anger, here's what he says: you're gonna give the devil a foothold. I'm gonna tell you the hardest place to control anger. It's easy to control it with people you don't know real well, you know, people that sort of know you. But people that know you extremely well, you feel extremely comfortable with, your family, other people that's where it can, you can, they call it "let the real self out." We well, you know what? If you're angry with your spouse all the time, and you're manipulating them with anger and your outburst and your kids are seeing it, you need to change your real self. Amen or oh me. Yeah, You need to change your real self. Because you're really bringing a foothold, a nest for evil in your own home, in our lives. And feeling angry is not a sin. But not controlling anger and letting anger get the best of you is a a debilitating thing. And he's warning us about this here. Look at the next thing here in verse... 25, therefore you must, excuse me, I mean, I'm wrong. Verse um, 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Here's a, here's a third thing that's really important. If you want to be a bridge and not a wall, is your work ethic. Your work ethic. It's very important that you have a good solid work ethic that in your work you are on time in your work you work hard in your work you give more to your employer than you take in your work it is so important now I want to say something because there's a lot of college students here here's something that if this hasn't happened in your life it needs to happen now, here's what goes through you're, when you're a child. This is great. You you live to pl- you you play, you work so you 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 play. So you, you work so you can play. You, you, play is number one in your life. I'm trying to get it right. Play is number one in your life. It's just number one in your life. And, w- and when you get to college, it's it, it, it's play on steroids. <laughs> Don't tell me how busy you are. Yeah, we were up late last night until 3 a.m., six hours working on, you know, Warcraft. Yeah, okay. You are tearing it up on the Nintendo there. That's a fantastic, uh, another time in your life are you going to just go out and just go play basketball in the middle of the afternoon because that, that is going to stop. And one of the things that is just so important as, as you go, and it's, it's terrific, you need to have fun in life, and this is a wonderful time in life. But when you graduate and you go into the real world, here's something that needs to change in your life. And and as someone who wants to represent Christ effectively in the marketplace where you work, this is very important to do. It simply means this you are no longer working so you can play, you're playing so you can work. Work comes first. Work comes first. It's producing, working, doing a good job, being excellent in your career, being a great employee is so important. A work ethic is a critical way to represent Christ in the real world, a good, solid work ethic. Look at the the next thing here. Look at verse 29. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit those who listen. Now, we used to say this, this is the kind of thou shalt not cuss verse in the Bible. And it's, this is really not talking about cussing. Um, I don't know if it's a sin to cuss or not. Um, I encourage you not to do it, but it's probably not a sin to cuss. Um, to be honest with you, I, could, I don't want to get into that. It's all, it's all you're going to remember from the sermon today. Hey, you know, I think Pastor Lee said we could cuss now. It's a, that's terrific. We'll that will be our, you know, let me let that one drop. But, but if you read it in context, here's what he is saying. Don't don't talk bad about people. He means unwholesome. He doesn't mean a swear word. He means degrading people. Don't speak in a way that degrades people. You know, you hear gossip and they're just degrading people. You know, you you listen to, if you want to be a toxic person, listen to a lot of talk radio and news talk now. I mean, it's just, it's absurd. And, And for the last 20 years, listen to it. It's just absurd the back and forth between these people that are just just toxic stuff, degrading people, unwholesome speech. He says, don't do that. Build people up. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to build people up. So go with him. He wants to build people up. So don't degrade people. Don't talk people down. Build them up, and, uh, and that's fantastic. The next one he talks about is in verse 30. Do not grieve the Spirit. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, kind. He goes on here, just forgiving one another is what he says in, in the end of that. Just be a forgiver. Let me tell you this. It's so hard to do sometimes. Get, make a commitment now to unconditionally forgive, regardless. Unconditionally forgive. You, 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 being bitter is literally like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies. Do not harbor bitterness. Don't let that toxicity into you. Look at the Ephesians five, verse one says, "Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children." Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In loving others, this is really striking to me. Because I read this and was preparing for this sermon and thought, yeah, you know, we love people. You would be nice. You love people. When you go through the Kroger line and they say, "Will you add a dollar for some cause, you save. Sure. And it's just a dollar. It's no big deal. When you do the buy my Coke at Kangaroo, I give them a dollar. It's 74 cents. They have a Hurricane Harvey. Put my 26 cents in there for Hurricane Harvey. I am I'm being a loving person. And, and I was like, and we should do stuff like that. And I thought, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job. Here, what does he say here, though? Love The way Christ loved us. And and I love this. He clarifies, gave himself up for us. Now, you want to be authentic in your faith? You do that. You give yourself up in loving others, not skimming off the top give yourself up loving others. You want to build a bridge? That'll build a bridge. Give yourself up. Look at the last thing here. Verse 3. But there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor shall there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, for you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Verse six: Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon those who are disobedient. Here's the, here's a, here's the seventh thing he talks about. Is it's so critical. You and I be sexually pure. Be sexually clean. You know, there is an enormous attack on this. It's been going on for a long time. Christian sexual ethics are real clearly this. Sex exists between a man and a woman in a covenant marriage relationship. That's it. Now, the Bible's really like, if you're in that, go for it. Really, it's a very pro-sex, pro-erotic book when it comes within a marriage context, very much so. I mean, read the Song of Solomon, not (laughs) too much, but read the Song of Solomon, and you'll get (laughs) get some idea. And and there's other verses. I could go through the book of Proverbs. I can go through stuff Paul taught, very pro Go for it in a marriage. But this is, this is something very strong. Outside, don't do it. And I'll tell you this, your buddies may think you're cool if you compromise with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever. But I'll tell you this, they will not take a thing you say about Jesus seriously. They'll know you're one of them, not one of the other. You're just another phony lying to himself, telling himself what he wants to believe, bringing his values over to what he feels and wants, not going the other direction, inauthentic, inauthentic. You know, when I was years ago, Lisa and I had our first house and it was a um, a starter home on the east side. And um, we, uh, one day, it was in the winter, and it was like super cold at night. Like, man, this was like four degrees outside. We had both boys, Daniel and Xander. Xander was little, and Daniel was little too. And um, I always had this dream. I'd say I had this dream every now and then. Someone can maybe interpret this. Where I wake up and I turn the lights on, and they don't come on. Does anybody, I don't know if anybody else have that dream? I had this dream. Well, I woke up. And the boys were, Xander was screaming. He was, you know, wanting to get fed his bottle. And so I woke up, and I turned the light on, and it didn't come on. So I thought, gosh, maybe I'm having one of those dreams again. And then I thought, wait, this is is not a dream. It took me a minute. Anyways, I I was going through this, and then I I realized the power was out. The power was cold. It was four degrees outside. The power was out. And so I went and got his uh, bottle out of the refrigerator, and I couldn't warm it up. And so I, tur- I got the stuff, and I turned on the faucet, and it barely came out. And I thought, oh, boy, those pipes are freezing. And so I just let that water run a while. And then I, I fed him and put him to sleep and woke up the next morning, 7, 8, you know, the-, the power still hadn't come on. And our neighbor next to us didn't have the- wasn't fortunate enough to have a four-month-old screaming in the middle of the night waking him up. His pipe burst, and he didn't have one of those tools. And this is I didn't even know what you, that you have to go to the water meter, turn them off. If you buy a house, you better get one of those, by the way. But um, he didn't have one, and so for, and he, we didn't even know how to. What we didn't even know, you needed one of those, and for three hours, fifteen degrees, water's pouring all over his house, all down his from his just, Complete water got everywhere. Just complete, complete destruction. Now, how many are glad you have running water in your home? Raise your hand. Oh, good. Everybody here. That's I'm glad because I'm like you, babe. I love running water. I've, I've been in Liberia. Running water is a great thing. Trust me. It's a great thing. A wonderful thing. But water needs to be in the pipes. Because if water gets out of the pipe, something really great becomes really destructive. Your sexuality is really great. But it needs to stay in the pipes. Because if it gets out of the pipes, it can become really destructive. And this is what Paul's encouraging here. Don't get into that. Keep yourself sexually clean. Look, I want to close with a story that I, that I think is really um, incredibly profound to me. Um, there is a movie that came out. Um, my, my wife and I saw it and it was really good. Like a great Christian movie. Uh, it was called The Case for Christ. And it's a book that was written about uh, years ago by a guy named Lee Strobel, best-selling Christian book. Lee Strobel was an um, attorney. He, he was the, a reporter, actually, for the Chicago Tribune. He was their top um, legal attorney. He reported all the things that were going on in courtroom stuff. And um, he went to Yale. Smart guy. And so he was an atheist. Just a flat-out atheist. His wife became a Christian. And so he sought out to prove her, this is a stupid, silly myth. And so he started researching the facts. Over A little bit over a year, he researched the facts. And at the end of his research, he was overwhelmed by the evidence that Jesus Christ, in fact, was who he said he was and had been raised from the dead. So overwhelmed that he renounced his atheism and became a Christian. And today... As two of his sons are in ministry, he's a very dynamic uh, Christian leader in our country, Lee Strobel. Now, there's another book that I remember reading years ago by a guy named William Lovedale. William Lovedale was the lead beat writer, again, for the Los Angeles Times, and he covered religion. And he was an evangelical Christian, just like all of us here. He loved the Lord. He was growing in his faith in a cool church. And... What happened, he started investigating Christians. And, and what started out for him is he investigated and he would do these like, really cool stories about this Christian was doing something great with an orphanage and this one was doing some great thing over here. And he just started realizing, gosh, you know, like I'm reporting on people that are like, really living the Christian faith when most of us were just sort of massively doing nothing. And that started bothering him. And then he got a call to cover the Catholic sex scandals and investigated that. And then he started covering televangelists in America. And he started looking at the lives of people he knew from church. And he, and he just got so dark and so depressed and so discouraged. He literally says this in his book, that he didn't, he renounced his Christianity and became an atheist and he even says this I didn't do this because of a fact of any argument I did it because I was so overwhelmed by the lack of seriousness people who claim to be Christians had about their faith think about that you have an atheist educated at Yale law school who researches the facts and becomes a christian you have a journalist who is a christian who researches the credibility of christian leaders and he becomes an atheist we this listen we need and this country needs and your friends need and your family needs and the people you love need genuine authenticity out of you and I. We're not perfect. I assure you, those seven things I read, I go, oh boy, just, just like you do. Just like you do. They challenge me. I'm not a perfect guy. They challenge me and they push me. But we want to be authentic. That means this, that when, when, when I'm feeling this tension between what I, where I'm at, And what the scripture says, I yield to him. I yield to him. That's what being authentic is. It's not being perfect. But it's it's just you know which way you go when that gap's there. Again, every one of us here, you, me, every one of us, to the people we say we love, the people we live with, our friends, our family, our workmates. We're either a bridge or we're a wall. A bridge or a wall. And I want to encourage you, be a bridge. Be a bridge. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we just thank you so much for what Jesus did for us. And we pray you give us grace and courage and honesty within ourselves to walk in a manner worthy of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.